Brick Moon Fiction presents Storm of Souls by Eric Del Carlo, narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. It was like bringing back prisoners from a smoking battlefield. No, more like rounding up lost sheep. Cartwright shook his head again. English lit class had been many years ago, and his metaphors and analogies or whatever were pretty rusty. What he knew for certain was that collecting the new souls wasn't anything like going into the field to retrieve the sick and injured, which was the kind of duty he'd signed on for, and had been doing for almost twenty years, as a paramedic. But they'd repurposed him and Duval, at least for the time being. The hospital administrator had told Cartwright personally that this wasn't a punitive assignment. Neither he nor his ambulance partner Duval had done anything wrong. It was simply necessary to put experienced hands on this duty. Even though nobody had serious experience with this sort of thing, because this thing was a new phenomenon, something outside the boundaries of what Cartwright would have called established science. Or else it was mass hysteria. A hoax. Flash mob antics meet Orson Welles' War of the Worlds broadcast. Duval was driving them back to the hospital, to the special wing which had been assigned to this ongoing crisis. Cartwright was in the back of their ambulance, with their... Prisoner-slash-lost-lamb? Charge. This person was their charge. He grunted to himself as he observed the body strapped to the gurney. Charge had an official ring to it. It was also just the right level of dehumanizing, like when the military referred to soldiers as units. The charge was a woman in her late thirties. She had a hard slash of a mouth and a fleshy, neglected shape to her. That was the body, anyway. But that wasn't all there was to it, of course. This was a new soul, which meant someone else, some separate entity, was living inside this body now. I don't like this, the woman said, or her mouth said it, or, well, whatever. Cartwright had a hard time putting identifiers on any of this. You're safe, he said. You'll be cared for, I promise you. He was good at this sort of thing. Riding an ambulance for twenty years, you either got hopelessly jaded and didn't care what happened to anyone, or you got hopelessly jaded and still convincingly acted like you cared. He was of the latter disposition. This is so wrong! The body squirmed, but not because the restraints were too tight. The new soul in there didn't recognize the form it was in. If it was a new soul. If a new soul was even anything real. Cartwright, even after having made a number of these runs, still wasn't entirely convinced. The whole thing might be a shock of epic proportions people just pretending to be other people, a monumental prank. Maybe it was even something with malignant intent, a roundabout terror attack. He rubbed his eyes. His theories were no better than his attempts to give this whole situation a metaphorical structure. He waited out the rest of the ride. Duval handled the rig expertly. He'd been a paramedic for ten years, Cartwright's partner for five. They could finish each other's sentences. It was more like marriage than Cartwright's actual marriage. They rolled up on the hospital, making straight for the new soul's wing, which had its own receiving station. He and Duval ran the gurney in. Cartwright was still accustomed to rattling off vitals to ER doctors. Here, the procedures were different. When they'd answered the call and found the woman on the street corner, disoriented, flopping about in a way that suggested she didn't have proper control of her body, they had dutifully run down the items on the new mission sheet. They'd surrounded her so that she wouldn't accidentally fall, then Cartwright had asked her in his clear, empathetic tones who she was. Omar, the worse-for-wear middle-aged woman had said. How old are you, Omar? 
Fifteen? said in a scared, piping adolescent voice. After that, they'd relieved the woman, the boy, of wallet and ID, which unambiguously identified her as one Valerie Chambers. Now, at the admissions station, Cartwright handed over the wallet, initialed the brief report, and rubbed his eyes again as the new soul was wheeled away to a room for further observation and, later, gentle interrogation. He was glad not to have any part of that. He didn't want to question these people. He wasn't a psychoanalyst. Also, he couldn't be sure he could keep his incredulity from showing. He found himself leaning against a wall. This shift was dragging on him. There was a soft, insistent fatigue down in his bones. He wasn't spry anymore, wasn't tireless. He got by with bull determination and by throwing his ever-increasing mass into his shifts as they came. Duval, on the other hand, was all wiry vitality, though mental strain showed on him, too. He didn't like this new soul business any more than Cartwright, though he wasn't skeptical of it. Rather, Duval had said he feared the whole thing was absolutely authentic, and that it portended something darker and deeper than anyone suspected. Souls taking over bodies. Human identities being recast on a profound level. To Duval, that sounded... biblical. End of Daisy. Which was a laugh. Duvall hadn't been inside a church since grade school and had never once professed any religious convictions to Cartwright. Then again, it was one way of dealing with this shit, Cartwright supposed. The phenomenon had been going on for a month, or at least that was when public awareness had caught up to the wave of victims purporting to be inhabiting strange bodies. One thing had emerged quickly about the craze. The so-called new souls were claiming to be real people, people who had lived actual lives, who had verifiable identities of their own, with biographical detail recorded in databases both public and private. But in every case so far, these people were claiming to be individuals who were deceased. Dead. Every last one of them. Which made Duval's latent religious hysteria just a dash more believable. Dead people taking over live bodies? Yeah, that did have a Book of Revelations vibe to it. Still, Cartwright wasn't convinced. Conspiracy was still a possibility. These people could have, could have, mined that information, committed it to memory, and were now using these new identities to, to, yeah, to do what? He could see no profit in the widespread plot. Either this was all a fake, or else each of these people was crazy. There was some credence given the latter, some of these new souls claimed to now be people to whom they were related, some by blood, some by marriage. A daughter claiming to now be inhabiting the body of her father, and vice versa. Husbands asserting that they were their own deceased wives. That sounded like genuine psycho behavior to Cartwright, who'd seen more than his share in the past twenty years. Still leaning on the wall, he let his eyes shut. Why was this work so much more draining than ordinary EMT duties? Right now he felt old and heavy and tired. He didn't want to go back out on another new soul call. Cartwright? It wasn't Duval who was standing nearby. The person had spoken Cartwright's name like she was asking if that was he. The voice was curt. He sighed and opened his eyes. The woman was in paramedic gear, but he didn't recognize her from the pool. Well, transfers and all sorts of scrambling were going on lately. She looked about thirty. There was a steely poise about her. The expression of her face drove the brusqueness home. Whoever she was, she didn't like finding him leaned up on a wall with eyes closed. Well, fuck her, 
Cartwright decided in those very first seconds, thinking of what a grind the past few weeks had been. I'm Cartwright. Duval was standing behind her, looking concerned. My name's Vargas. I'm riding with you. I've got a partner, Vargas. He's standing behind you. She didn't turn. Her eyes had an almost metallic sheen, or else weariness was taking its toll on him. She said, Duval rides too. It's the three of us. Let's go. Cartwright was about to balk. He could demand proof of authorization, evidence of paperwork. He could put a hitch in this blunt woman's giddy-up. But something told him she had it all sorted. It was there in her balanced stance, in the authoritative set of her jawline. Argue with her? The hell with it. He was too tired. Maybe with her along he could even slack off a bit. His gaze had locked with hers. That started to feel uncomfortable, so he shifted to Duval, over her right shoulder. Cartwright offered his partner a pale smile as he addressed the woman named Vargas. You bet, Vargas. So happy to have you aboard. You'll make a fine addition to our traveling medicine show. Cartwright sat up front. Duval drove. They had a body in the back, but that was Vargas. She was sitting up, next to the empty gurney. It might well have been a mistake to allow her to come along, Cartwright was thinking. He should have at least put her on the spot, demanded to see her authorization. Something about this woman was... off. He'd snuck a few glances back at her. She retained that cool poise, even as she looked around at the gear in the back as if it were new to her. The paramedic coat she wore was hospital standard issue, but instead of a BDU with drawstring, like he and Duval were wearing, she had on slacks. Also, there were business flats on her feet, rather than boots. Maybe she was an outright imposter. It was unlikely, but possible. Hell, a whole lot of unlikely was going on these days, in this age of the new souls. Cartwright had to allow for the possibility that Vargas had an ulterior motive for coming along on the run. It could be she was just a nut. Currently, they were cruising the city streets. Since they'd been put on new soul detail, it was never more than 10 or 15 minutes before a call came in. So it was better just to stay mobile. Sidelong, he traded a look with Duval. Duval's face was tight, lips pressed. He felt uneasy, too. Cartwright sensed through their well-established rapport. Cartwright shifted in his seat. He looked back into the ambulance rear with what he hoped was a casual expression on his face. You get lunch? She didn't look at him. I'm not hungry. So much for casual conversation, he thought with a mental sigh. Shifting tone, he asked, What do you think about all this? All this what? Her tone was flat. He felt a spark of irritation. I think you can guess. Her unnervingly metallic gaze turned at last to him. It's a fascinating phenomenon. That, at least, was honest. Yeah, but do you think it's real? Her shoulders lifted in what looked less like a shrug than a twitch of annoyance. I'm sure you've heard what I have. These... What are the media calling them? New souls? They have intimate knowledge of the people they claim to be. Details verified by relatives of the dead people whose identities they profess to. Some of this data would be almost impossible to obtain, so... So that makes it real, Cartwright pressed. Next to him, Duval had his eyes on the road, but it was plain he was listening intently. So, Vargas said, it means something has definitely occurred. Either an effort has been made... Or, the phenomenon is authentic. She didn't talk like an EMT, Cartwright decided. 
Not that paramedics didn't use big words, but she had a clipped diction no one he'd ever ridden with used. Hauling a meat wagon was a Wild West kind of undertaking. The lingo was loose, pronunciations lax, except when it came to medical terminology, of course. It kept one from tensing up too badly, to the point where it might affect the job. This woman was wired tight. He guessed she was around death and mayhem a lot, just like him, but there was more to her than that. She did more than stabilize accident victims and deliver bodies. In fact, that might be where her job began, which made him realize how serious his doubts were about her. But what to do about it? He was tired. She wasn't causing undue trouble. Besides, like she'd said, effort had been made. She'd dressed up reasonably like a paramedic. She seemed to have some purpose here. Leave it alone, he told himself, and turned away from her. At that moment, the radio squawked. Disoriented person wandering in traffic on Buckington Avenue, the 1400 block. Brief description followed. We're taking that. Vargas was on her feet, leaning into the ambulance's cab. Her eyes blazed like steel heated by a welding torch. When Cartwright didn't move, she shouted, Answer it! We're only five streets away! He was older than her. Twenty years on the job gave him seniority in most situations. He didn't like anyone talking to him this way. But something in the intensity of the woman's manner told him he should do what she wanted. Anyway, the call was theirs to take. Duval was already swinging toward Buckington. Cartwright grabbed up the mic and acknowledged with dispatch. Duval sped them along, blooping the siren only at intersections, otherwise weaving them flawlessly through traffic, until they were racing down the designated avenue, vehicles parting ahead of them. A clear section of street opened before them. There was a lone individual out on the pavement, a man in his fifties, heavy and unhealthy-looking, maybe what Cartwright would look like in ten years if he wasn't careful. The man moved jerkily, almost spastically. His arms swung. His jacket was hanging half off him. He took lurching steps that went nowhere. He was managing only to stumble back and forth, blocking the lanes. Duvall glided them up near the man, and Cartwright made ready to jump out. He had the checklist from the mission sheet in his head. He would go through the appointed steps, which were meant to calm the victim and instill a temporary trust. A paramedic's only job was to get these unfortunate people back to the hospital. The doctors would take it from there. In that sense, it was like any other run. But Vargas's hand fell on his shoulder, steely fingers sinking into him. Stay here, she said. I'm going out. It had the tenor of an order. That was the last straw for Cartwright. Angrily, he swung toward her, a hand already on the door handle. Who the hell, he started. But she opened her coat. Beneath it, an oil-gleaming pistol hung in a shoulder holster. Cartwright froze. Stay here, she repeated. Duvall had seen the weapon as well. He sat rigid in his seat, still gripping the steering wheel. His lips started moving. Cartwright realized with a start that he was whispering a prayer. One of the prescribed ones, a Hail Mary or Our Father. Vargas went out the back of the ambulance. She came around and made straight for the wandering man. She wasn't approaching cautiously, like Cartwright had been doing all this time with the new souls. In fact, she fairly stormed at the victim. When she seized him by the shirt front and yanked him toward her, instinct snapped inside Cartwright. Vargas was wrong. She was no EMT. And even if she was packing heat, he had to goddamn do something. He couldn't let her manhandle somebody who just needed help. His arm jerked. He shoved open the passenger door of the ambulance and got out, 
Fear shook through him, but he didn't let himself really feel it. He could be scared later. He could piss his pants if he liked. Right now he had to stop this crazy bitch. His horror at what she was doing only worsened as he heard what she was saying to the man with the dazed face and limp limbs. Tell me who killed you, Vargas said urgently. Tell me. Who was it? Tell me. Who killed you? Tell me. A nut. A complete fucking nut. One who also happened to be carrying a gun. Great. But he had no choice. He'd let her come along on the ride when he should have done something to stop her. Now he had a responsibility to this pitiful new soul staggering around on the street. That man was his charge, after all. Tell me who murdered you. Cartwright was almost to her. Suddenly she pivoted sharply, one hand coming out of her coat. It was full of the gunmetal reality of her pistol. The bore was pointed unerringly at Cartwright's forehead. Stay out of this, Cartwright, she said. A great deep coldness touched him. He didn't take another step, but neither did he retreat. His mouth tasted like copper as he said, I can't let you do this. She still had one hand wound into the man's shirt front, keeping him from wandering away. He wore the familiar muddled expression of a new soul. He certainly looked like someone inhabiting a body that didn't belong to him. Suddenly the lost eyes gained a little focus. With a zombie's grace, the man made a haphazard gesture toward Vargas's gun hand. A strangled sound escaped his lips. Vargas spun back to him. She waved the pistol while still managing to keep a bead on Cartwright. The gun? she said urgently. Were you shot with a gun? Cartwright had dealt with dozens and dozens of new souls during the past weeks. When they were like this, fresh, apparently having just made the transition in identities, they were too confused to be communicative. The best you could do was get them calm enough to put them on a gurney and strap them in. But now the man's head jerked up and down. It wasn't a spasm. He was nodding, Cartwright thought. Vargas took it as encouragement. Good, good. Now tell me who was holding the gun. Who pointed the gun at you and pulled the trigger? She waited tensely. Wherever this insane line of questioning was coming from, it meant something serious to her. The new soul's eyes focused once again, more sharply this time. With a visible effort, the man croaked. Ned Wick. Wickham. Vargas holstered her weapon. Quickly and efficiently, she patted down the man, located his wallet, and took out his ID. She let out a long breath, sagging with the release of a terrible tension. She turned the driver's license so that Cartwright could read it. Baffled, he peered at it. The name was there. Ned Gordon Wickham. A stunned, confused silence overtook Cartwright. A moment ago, this woman had been pointing a pistol at him. Now she looked triumphant. This man is a murderer? he asked. She was still holding him upright. She started to walk him toward the ambulance. Cartwright automatically took his other arm. Vargas said, He's the murderer and the victim. Both. Cartwright found her just outside the hospital, by the ambulance bay for the new soul's wing. She was smoking a cigarette, and butts littered the ground by her feet. She had shed the EMT coat. Evening was thickening into dusk. She looked up and smiled tiredly at him. He had made a more detailed report than usual, but had omitted those brief seconds when Vargas had pointed her gun at his head. He mentioned this fact to her now. Thanks. She breathed out long twin trails of blue smoke. There was no smoking allowed this close outside the hospital. 
but he said nothing. She was leaning on the exterior brick wall. He took up position next to her. They both gazed out on the darkening parking lot. Duval had dashed off after bringing their charge in, saying something hasty about needing the restroom. How'd you know? Cartwright finally asked. Didn't. Theorized. Detected. Because you're a detective. Bingo. A cop masquerading as a paramedic, just to get in close to a new soul, apparently. But that didn't tell him everything. She didn't make him pry it out of her. In fact, she'd probably been hanging around out here waiting for him. She said, This is what I knew. Some of the new souls knew the people whose bodies they were theoretically now inhabiting. They were living inside blood relatives, acquaintances. Others had occupied complete strangers. All new souls claimed to come from people known to be deceased. Or, in some cases, people who disappeared and were presumed dead. But no new souls could recall their own deaths. Did you know about that? I heard some scuttlebutt, but word doesn't get down to us in the field very quick. Vargas went on. Why couldn't the new souls remember, when they recalled so much else, all those impossible details, even when the person whose body they were now in had supposedly never met them in life? A ghost of that triumphant look returned to her face. I see a lot of death. Violent death. Intentional death. It's messy and traumatic. I've often wondered if in the final seconds of a person's life, if it's so damn noisy and fraught and terrifying that they don't even experience their own death. They're already in shock, and they never have time to come out of it. The blood loss takes them. The bullet-ruptured aorta gives way. They don't even know that they die. Solemnly, Cartwright nodded. In his time, on his long shifts, he'd had similar thoughts. Vargas pitched her cigarette away. The embers danced on the pavement, then went out. She said, The guy we brought in said he... Sorry, she... She said her name is Sabra Akebi, right? Well, she produced her cell phone. I contacted police records. She died all right. Eight years ago, shot and killed. Her next-door neighbor was a man named Ned Wickham. He was canvassed when the homicide unit showed up at the crime scene, but he was never a suspect. Cold case. Very cold. She made to dig another cigarette out of the pack in her pocket, then abandoned the idea. She said, The department hasn't known what to make of this new soul business. It's the same everywhere in the country, because this is happening all over, right? The police, frankly, don't want this mess, whatever the hell it might be. So hospitals take it on. You process these people as they turn up. The information accumulates. Experts are trying to get a grip on the phenomenon, except that there are no experts for this. How could there be? But the relationships between the new souls and the people they now inhabit, that interested me. The host bodies retain no personality whatsoever. None. Those people are gone. Their identities are wiped. In their place are these previously deceased individuals, some of whom knew their body's original inhabitants. They'd both been staring ahead. Now she turned to him, and a feral, frightening grin stretched her mouth briefly. Well, she said, who's the most likely person to kill you? Someone you know. Even more likely, somebody you're related to. If this crazy phenomenon is actually happening, why not try to find logic within that craziness? I wondered if the dead might not be coming back and taking over the bodies of the people who had killed them. Jesus, Cartwright said, but he wasn't being dismissive. I further wondered, Vargas said, 
if maybe I could catch one of these new souls when they first crossed over, enacted their possession, whatever, if in that earliest possible moment, maybe I could get through to them, jog the vestiges of memory, unlock that final perilous moment of their deaths, then maybe I could identify their killer. They stood in silence again. Cartwright watched the last natural light of the day bleeding out of the sky. He saw the implications of the detective's theory. It'll be a whole new world, he said with something like reverence. Vargas shoved off from the bricks. She said, I just wanted to solve a case. I've got a feeling that this new soul thing's only going to happen in instances where somebody has, until now, gotten away with murder. Thanks again for not reporting me. I'm sorry about the gun business. I'd been trying to get somebody to authorize this operation, but nobody above me would clear it. I, I just had to know. With that, she walked off. Cartwright watched her go, realizing he had no idea if she were an attractive woman or not. His shift was done. He wanted to go home, eat dinner with Rosalie, pour a drink and put on some music, light some candles, and make weary, meaningful love to his wife. Tomorrow, he had no doubt whatever, there would be more new souls to collect, more unjustly taken souls returned to the world. They would need his help, and he would be there for them, every last one of them. Eric Del Carlo has been compulsively, convulsively, and propulsively writing fiction for the vast majority of his lifetime. His successes include multiple appearances in such world-renowned science fiction publications as Analog and Asimov's. The anthologies he's appeared in are beginning to crowd his bookshelf. His novels range from Sword and Sorcery, War Torn, written with Robert Asprin, to Urban Fantasy, The Golden Gate is Empty, written with his father, Vic Del Carlo, to his upcoming young adult title, The Vampire Years. He's written podcasts for Earbud Theater, had his novels released as Russian editions, written scads of erotica, and seen his fiction chosen for a year's best anthology. He writes because he doesn't know how to stop, and because he's determined to carve out every last worthy word he can while he still walks this world. Also, he's eager to know you, so contact him via Facebook. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.